You know, some days, the whole day is just going to be a prayer day, huh? It's okay. Our text today is in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 2. Genesis chapter 1 actually starts on page 1, but um, we're going to be in verse 26 and 27. Okay, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Dear Lord, we do thank You for this time. We thank You for the great privilege that it is to stand before You. And right now, Lord, as we stand before You, we lift our Pastor Paul to You. And we pray that You would use him mightily through this sermon, that You would um, anoint him with clarity and passion and power. And we pray that um, You would open our eyes to the truth of living a sanctified life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let me get set up here. So we've been doing this series on the sanctified life, and of course uh, it's not just an inward thing and a subjective thing. If we are going to be like Christ, we need to have the same opinions as Christ. And we need to, in our understanding of things, reflect his views. And his views are based on the way that he's created us, the way that he's created the world, and the set of moral principles by which he wants us to live in this world, his world. As Christians, we are supposed to have the same views as he has. We are not to have views that are manipulated or that are um, guided by the world. The world's going to be the world. The world rejects God. The world rejects the Bible and it rejects his truth. So this set of sermons and particularly the last few weeks where we've been concerned with uh, how this sanctified life and sanctified thinking works in our views of uh, hot topics out there in the world, tries to pull together these two aspects of um, living a holy life and thinking holy thoughts and acting on those principles. We all know that we have... Uh, trouble doing that because the remnants of sin still work in us and so even if we might for example choose to have the a uh, biblical outlook on say abortion or on euthanasia on personhood uh, sometimes we don't express it in a very charitable way and so we're not like jesus Sometimes we just buy into 
what the world is saying because we spend too much time listening to what the world is saying. And they can put together things that on the surface sound like good excuses or good reasoning as to why uh, they take their particular positions. Normally it's cloaked in the language of compassion and sympathy. And those that don't um, take their view, of course, are not compassionate and unsympathetic and sometimes even evil. Don't believe their lies. Don't believe their name-calling. Don't believe their identification. The one who decides whether something is true or lies is God. And we must take God's side. So in Genesis chapter 1, we are told that God made them. He made Adam and he made his wife. He made them male and female. And that's it. Those are the choices. There is not a third choice. Now, of course, the world in the last few years, I mean, not before that, in the last few years, the world has thrown that off. And that has been planned, by the way, for many years. They've been leading up to it, a way of, of destroying this idea of gender identity in line with uh, biology and the word of God. The destruction of the family unit. And there are, there are reasons, there are purposes down the road for doing this. Please don't think, okay, that this is not planned, that this is not manipulated, and that you cannot be manipulated in your thinking. If our thinking is going to be influenced, let it be influenced by the scriptures. The word of God lasts forever. Everything else No. Echoing what what God says in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4 says this, Have, uh, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Well, a lot of people haven't read that. Or if they've read it, they've decided that uh, neither God in Genesis or Jesus in Matthew knows what they're talking about. So this sermon, which I've entitled The Body in Politic, it was, uh, I got it from the book that I'm going to be quoting here. I thought it was a good way of titling the sermon is about sexual identity and the problem problems that people seem to be having with knowing what sex they are and what gender they are the first thing that i want to say in this sub on this subject is that we must make sure 
that we are not being judgmental. Now, don't understand. Don't misunderstand me. We have to make judgments. We should make judgments. If you don't make judgments, okay, you're a fool, you have no discernment, and you will never come to an understanding of things which reflects the way God thinks about them. You have to make a judgment in line with the word of God. Do you see? I don't mean judgment in that way. I mean judgment, of course, in the more condemnatory sense. In the sense where anybody who expresses a different view of uh, sexual identity than the Bible expresses, we denounce. We look down our noses at them. We are repelled by them. Now, you can't be that way and hope to win them over. If you do not have friendly relationships and caring, even, relationships with any in the LGBTQ community, there's something wrong there. Okay? You need to understand these people are made in God's image. Yes, they are in sin. Yes, they are have believed lies. But they are not to be written off. They need to be treated with patience and compassion. Jesus, when he confronted prostitutes, treated them with dignity as human beings. Not the way they were treated by their clients, but rather he saw through that as somebody made in the image of God. That's the way that we need to approach uh, people, whether they're homosexuals or whether they are uh, bisexual or whatever they are. I understand, yes, it is sin. And I'll say more about that later. But, folks, if you believe that you have a right to condemn people and look yet down your nose at people who do not have a view of uh, sexual identity which lines up with the Bible, how are you different than the Pharisees who Jesus challenged to cast the first stone with a woman taken in adultery? We don't agree with adultery either, do we? Jesus certainly didn't. But he was more concerned with the attitude of the religious leaders and their self-righteousness and their blindness to their own hypocrisy and sin. Let's not be like them. You don't get anywhere like that, okay? You don't accomplish God's work by being unloving towards people you disagree with. So, according to the Bible, there are two sexes, two genders, male and female. 
And that is a subtle fact, by the way, as, as far as biology is concerned. You know, that science. I'm going to be quoting quite a bit from this book, Love Thy Body, by Nancy Piercy. I do recommend it. Maybe we'll get some copies. It's very well written. Um, addresses this issue. Let me quote here from something that's said. No one really denies that on the level of biology, physiology, anatomy, and biochemistry, males and females correspond to one another. That's the way human sexual and reproductive system is designed. Therefore, to embrace a non-heterosexual identity, that's the two different sexes, does cause an inner disruption. It contradicts one's biological design. What she's saying there is that if you believe that your sexual identity is different than your bodily, your body, then you've put your psyche, your mind, in conflict with your body. Do you see that? You're not a holistic person anymore. Implicitly, the person is saying, why should I care about the structure of my body? Why should I let that inform my identity? Why should my sexed body have anything to say about my moral choices? The body, listen, is disassociated from who we are as persons, as though it has no intrinsic dignity or purpose that we are morally obligated to respect. That's what's happened. That's what's happening. The body's been denigrated. The body is no longer necessarily part of who you are. It's just a machine. It's just a thing. And who you are is not necessarily connected to it. Now, please understand that has to happen. That step has to be taken by anyone who follows through on homosexual desires. Now, as such, they should, that should cause us to have some sympathy for them. Because that is quite a step to take. But, of course, the movers and the shakers, the people that have put forward these ideas, they know exactly what they're doing. They're not the dupes, and I... You know, I'm using that term. They're not the dupes in the colleges who have been buying into this, thinking it's cool and thinking it's the, the thing to be. Unthinkingly, actually. Not thinking about consequences in their grown-up lives. And there are consequences. No, no, the people who have been pushing LGBTQ, the academics, 
know the consequences. They want certain outcomes. And they don't care about all of the tragedies and the calamities and the emotional turmoil that comes in its wake. They don't care. It's a means to an end. Oh, what? Are we brought back here to the golden rule? Where I've said that Jesus, when he says that we are to treat other people in the way that we want them to treat us, means that we must treat them as ends in themselves and not means to our own ends? Am I saying here that this whole LGBTQ thing that has happened in the last ten years or so, that that is being driven by people who are using people to to their own ends? That's what I am saying, yes. They don't care about these people. They're using them. That alone is a strong reason not to agree with this agenda. And it's a reason here why we must show a different face, that we do care, that we have patience, that we are trying to understand the conflict, the inner turmoil of saying my body is not part of my identity. Now, to be tempted, let me make this clear, to be tempted homosexually, to be tempted by someone of uh, the same sex, is not in itself a sin any more than somebody who is being tempted by somebody of the opposite sex. It's simply a temptation. To be tempted, in my case, to eat more chocolate is not in itself a sin. To give in to the temptation may well be a sin. Do you understand that? Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Well, how could he be tempted if temptation is a sin? Temptation is not a sin. And I'm looking forward to the world where there isn't any temptation anymore. But right now, in this world, there is temptation. And a person, people are tempted in all kinds of different ways and there are all kinds of reasons for that. Maybe it's the way that they grew up. Maybe it's the environment. Whatever influences uh, they were. There's certainly no genetic um, proof that, that uh, a person is tempted towards a uh, same-sex partner. But whatever the reason is, the temptation may may come and we have a choice to give in to the temptation or not. A person may be tempted to steal something. A person may be tempted to hate somebody. A person may be tempted in all kinds of different ways as well as of course, 
in the uh, homosexual realm. Being tempted is not a sin. I do want to say that, because that's the scriptural approach. So somebody who does fight with same-sex attraction is not somebody who is necessarily sinning. Do you see that? Any more than the things that you're tempted by. But resist doesn't mean that you're sinning. You're just tempted by them. Going back to the people who uh, have organized this revolution, and it really goes back to the 60s, in fact, goes back to the turn of uh, the last century. They try and say that if you have gay or deviant desires, that you have discovered your authentic self. What about if you have a desire to hurt somebody? Have you discovered your authentic self if you act on it? What about if you have desires to steal somebody else's property? When you actually do steal it, have you found your authentic self? Do you see the logic of this? There is no logic here. It's language and it sounds compelling until you bring a little bit of rationality to it. And then you see, this is ridiculous. This is nonsense. And the fact that our college students, because this is, this is the breeding ground for this, our universities, the fact that our university students can't figure this out says a great deal about our educational system. People are not being taught to think. They're being taught to feel. Well, I might feel that I'm the President of the United States, but that doesn't mean that will allow me into the White House to sit in the Oval Office. I might feel that I can fly. That doesn't mean I'm going to land softly or take off and land in a tree somewhere. Do you see? Reality is what we have to deal with. Reality is biblical. It's what the Bible says. Because it's made, it's, the Bible is written by the one who created reality. Unreality is often the lies that we are told by the world. Trust your heart. I saw a little kid at the playground yesterday with a T-shirt saying, you know, trust your heart. I hope that she doesn't believe that. The Bible says, he that trusts in his heart is a fool. You've got to trust something more, <laughs> more substantial, more stable than your heart, meaning your feelings. So this issue of gender identity is most important for us to understand. Now, before I go into the second point, 
I want to uh, kind of insert something here. I didn't want to do a whole sermon on this, but I have to say something about this. How did all of this thing get rolling? How did this situation, this moral chaos that we're in, how did it get moving? What was the foot in the door that the devil used? One word. Feminism. Feminism. Yes. That is the movement. Once that got going, once that ball got rolling, everything else has come in its wake. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain things that feminists have pointed out which were true. Men, of course, can be idiots. And men can also be unfeeling and they can certainly uh, believe or take advantage of their wives. But the devil always puts truths in there. Now those, hopefully, God's people, not always, unfortunately, but hopefully God's people can, can do something about that. But the devil puts these truths in there. Yes, there were uh, inequalities and injustices, true ones, that were pointed out by the feminists. But that wasn't their agenda that wasn't their agenda. Their agenda was that, well, we don't need a man. I was reminded uh, the other day when we went to the, uh, uh, I've gone and forgotten his name, um, Center for Life Choices speaker, which was excellent, by the way. It was really good. Um, he quoted the feminist uh, rhetoric which says, you know, we need a man as much as we need a bicycle or as much as, a, what is it, a flea needs a bicycle or something like that. Fish needs a bicycle, that's right. That was the agenda, you see. We don't want, we don't need a man. And we don't need kids, they're a burden. And we need, do we define ourselves success by a, a career? And by who we are, that's our identity, you see. And women started going out of the home. And homes started to be disrupted. And I saw it myself. I don't know, me and Steve may have seen this, some other people may have seen this. But I remember in England, women coming into the workforce, and I remember the affairs that went on all over the place. I'm not blaming the women. But you put these two things together, they're going to happen. Men and fe- women in the same work environment. and Now, these things were planned. And there's nothing wrong with a woman working outside the home. I'm not saying that. But there is something wrong with it as a philosophy. Do you understand that? As a, as a, this is what I should do. And what saddens me so much is that so many young women 
in our youth groups and so on, they have no aspirations to become mothers, to get married at all. They've not been trained by their parents at all to think in that way. They're going to have a career. They're going to be independent. They're going... That's the church. Now, folks, the, the hardest job that I can think of is be a mother at home. Okay? The most demanding job is to be a, a homemaker. And certainly it is very tempting to think, I'm getting, this is all being done for nothing, no one's noticing me. Yeah, God's noticing you. You, you will be rewarded. But feminism, that was the foot in the door. If it wasn't for the feminist movement, none of this would got the homosexual movement, the LGBTQ movement, the man-boy movement, and all the rest of it, this awful stuff, would never have got going because they used the same arguments. Moving on then, I have to say, I had to say that, and that, by the way, is as old as you quoted the verse. It's as old as the devil going to the woman to subvert the creation order. My next point is called science in the dictionary. If you have an old dictionary on your shelves, you may well, yes, I mean one that's older than ten years old or five years old. You may have, you get a dictionary, blow off the dust, because you don't use it anymore, do you? Blow the dust off, open it up, look at the word sex. Now, of course, it's used in different ways, but the first meaning will be male and female. Okay? Male and female. They may even have the word gender in there. If you look up the word gender, you'll see male and female. That was the dictionary from just a generation ago. And all the way back, and all the other dictionaries that have ever been, ever been written. Until modern dictionaries. And now gender can mean anything. Gender fluidity. It's choice. Imagine if we made uh, we made the uh, instead of gender we we choose something else. How about height? So it's no longer male and female, and it's no longer you know feet and inches to measure you. It, height, rather, is something that you choose. Okay? So, if a little kid, you know, you've got to be this high to get on this ride, and the little kid comes a little under the bar, the kid can say, yeah, but I'm six feet. That, that bar is an offense to me. Do you see? 
what is wrong with you? Are you heightist? <laughs> Do you see it doesn't work in the real world? It only works when you disconnect the mind from the heart and you just focus on the heart. I would love to be 21 again. No, actually I wouldn't. No. I would love to be 35 again. There we go. That's better. 21, no. Forget that. And I can think I'm 21, but it doesn't make me uh, 21, 35, 40, 50. But it doesn't make me that. Any more than you calling yourself, and I don't know all the different pronouns that are used now. Okay? You can, you can call yourself any number of pronouns to say this is my chosen gender, this is my identity. It doesn't mean that matches up with reality. If you want to be a whole person, you don't want to be schizophrenic and cause yourself all kinds of emotional trouble in the future, you better look at your sex, your gender, the way God has made you, male or female, and line up with that in your thoughts. And if you have temptations the other way, they're temptations. They're not necessarily sin. But don't give in to them. And don't hang around those people that want you to give in to them. There is scientific proof that certain thought patterns produce different brain patterns, different thoughts. You know that without the MRI data. You know, whatsoever a man, however a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the Bible says. So make sure that you think on rational, virtuous things, and that will be the person you become. If you think on sordid things, on deviant things, on irrational things, that's what you'll become. And these things have it have a real uh, consequences and outcomes. The science is in, folks, just as though the science is in with abortion. From conception. That's a human person. Okay? All abortion advocates know that. Or as a human being. So you're killing a human being. All abortion advocates know that, which is why they don't argue that way, unless they're arguing with people who are too stupid to actually do any thinking about it and really believe that that's just a blob of matter in there, and it, and it doesn't matter. I'm afraid the ultrasound has done away with that. The science is in. The science is in as far as 
gender is concerned. No, it's got nothing to do with uh, choice. It has to do with what you are. You're male or female, that's the way you are. You've got X and Y chromosomes or Y chromosomes. That is what you are that cannot be changed. They can cut you up. They can give you some therapy. You can try and convince yourself by dressing certain ways and acting certain ways and getting offended with people who point out the obvious. But it doesn't change what you are. Stop believing your heart. Stop believing these people that are manipulating you. Proverbs 15 and verse 30, if you would turn there, there's lots of passages like this. It says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and the good report makes the bones healthy. It speaks to the way that some receiving the right light, the right information, the truth brings health to your whole person. Receiving lies tears you apart. Jesus warned us to watch the eye. The light of the body is the eye. So watch what you read. Watch what you watch. Who you listen to. Who you look to. Thirdly, moving on from science and the dictionary, and I didn't want to bore you with all the science. It's it's in. If you want to read about the science, you can read about the science. Your body versus your feelings. That's what it has come down to today in this issue of sexual identity. Your body versus your feelings. Which one are you going to give priority to? Are you a male or a female? Or are you going to ignore the obvious and say that you're something different? Or you're the opposite of what your body is telling you? Listen to this again from Nancy Piercy. She says, when we make sexual decisions, that is about who uh, we are, as far as our gender is concerned, we are not just deciding whether to follow a few rules. We are expressing our view of the cosmos and human nature. We are expressing our view of reality. And we are either agreeing with God and agreeing with the biological and scientific facts Or we are putting our fist up to God and saying, I refuse this reality. I refuse this morality. I refuse this rationality. I'm going to choose. Now a person that 
thinks like that thinks. A person who uses God's uh, reasoning to reason in that unreasonable way, do you think that for a moment they're going to count the consequences of it? No, they're already not thinking properly. They're not going to think about the consequences of that, the emotional consequences of it. The rates of suicide, the rates of um, of depression, these skyrocket in proportion with people choosing to ignore what their body is telling them. All, I mean, all kinds. You say, well, why doesn't the news media report that? You really think that you should get your information from the news media? Is that where you want to get truth? The news media is owned by people that want to put across a certain view of reality. Are you going to be a dupe and allow them to fill your minds with that false reality, or are you actually going to think for yourself? Compassionately, Letting people differ from you. Today, peer pressure, especially on university campuses, whether it's to hook up, whether it's to experiment, whether to define yourself in a certain way. Don't, look, don't let people tell you what you are, who you are. Don't let them tell you what to do. And if that costs you your place in university or if that costs you your job, still you've got your integrity, don't you? That used to mean something. Comedians, music, motivational speakers who know how to sway an audience using the right answers, the right language, the right words. Intimidation. Don't be swayed so easily. Think through these things, particularly when it's a challenge to what's right in front of you. I know that I'm a male, at least biologically, but I'm not going to agree with that. And if the only excuse for that is that now be your authentic self, use some logic. What if a rapist was their authentic self? Would that be okay? Hitler was being his authentic case, uh, self. Was that okay? No, you're a sinner. That's your authentic self, okay? You're a sinner. And therefore you need correcting constantly by the word of God, by the truth of God. Oh yeah, we as much as anyone who has bought the LGBTQ agenda. Emotions can be swayed, your bodies can't. 
and neither should your worldview be easily swayed. Sexual identity has been manipulated, folks. Don't think these are overnight changes, you know, in the programming and in the uh, teaching courses and in the modern world. Don't think that they weren't planned beforehand. They were. They were. They were planned by evil people, godless people. Our speaker the other night uh, talked about two kinds of people as far as the abortion uh, industry is or abortion is concerned. One, one group are those that can be persuaded. You just have to give them the facts if they'll listen. Okay? The others, they don't care. They know what they're doing. They know they're killing kids. They know. And they don't care because they think it's worth it. During the Holocaust, the German propaganda was telling the people that what they were doing to the Jews and the gypsies and the handicapped, that that was justifiable and it was right. And the people bought it. The most educated race there's ever been, or at least generation has ever been, still didn't think for themselves. This issue of sexual identity, this issue of personhood that I've been dealing with in these last few weeks, this issue of abortion and euthanasia and so on, there is a biblical view of these things, and if you have any concern to have a righteous mind, a holy outlook on these things that matches what God says, you cannot buy what the world is telling you. Yes, we should have compassion, we should have patience, but the last thing I want to say, we need to have firm convictions on this. Yes, you should have friends who are homosexual. You don't fellowship with them. That's different. But you can be friends with them. John Frame, who's a Christian theologian, says this. We should not be quick to judge, but quick to love. But it becomes... If it becomes evident that orientation represents the desire of a person's heart so that he does not want to be subject to God's commands, then rebuke may be necessary to motivate his repentance and save his soul. You do not do anybody any favors by not letting them know that you disagree with their moral choices as a Christian. That doesn't mean you can't be friends. But you have to, they have to know where you stand on this issue. And if they ask you, do you think, you know, I'm a homosexual, do you think homosexuality is a sin? You should answer, yes. Because I believe what God says. I'm not condemning you. 
But God will condemn you for that sin. You need to repent. Doesn't, doesn't change who you are, your value to me. Doesn't change our friendship. Doesn't change the way that I value you as a person. There's more to a person than their sexual identity. But if you want to know what God says about this and what I believe on this, absolutely, it's a sin. That should be unmovable. That is the, that is the most uh, uh, loving thing that you can uh, say to a person who asks you that question. Tell them the truth. Because the truth is the only thing that sets us free. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, I know this, this uh, group of sermons has been difficult and uh, um, not easy to um, deal with. We would much rather deal with things that make us feel more comfortable. But, Father, your truth addresses this. And my concern has been that we, our thoughts and our understandings reflect the righteousness of God, reflect the way that you think about it. Christians should not be in two minds about these issues. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, as we move on and we start to deal with, uh, again, a a couple of issues of, of holiness and right thinking, that we will not forget about how right thinking and righteous thinking applies to these concrete areas. And we pray, Father, for loving hearts and compassion with those to whom we disagree. In Jesus' name, amen.